That's right, episode two of The Indirectors, a podcast for film nerds by film nerds. Every season on The Indirectors, we'll choose a director, watch all of their feature-length films, and report back to you. For our inaugural season, we've chosen South Korean filmmaker Bong Joon-ho. I'm Ryan W. Bradley with Benjamin Alaco, and we are The Indirectors. How's it going, Ben? I am so good. How are you doing, Ryan? I am here. I am excited. I don't know that I've been this excited to talk about a movie in a long time. Yeah. So, uh, I I just watched it today, and I'm right there with you. I'm like, this is this is good. This is a good one. Yeah. No, I'm I'm super stoked. Um, so today we're tackling Bong Joon Ho's second film and the acclaimed cult hit, Memories of Murder, which was released in South Korea in 2003. It was originally released in the U.S. two years later in 2005, but not long after that became widely unavailable in the U.S. until 2020 when it got a digital release and this year a Criterion Edition disc release. Ben, how about one of those synopsis things? (laughs) Yeah, so I think this one more simple than the last one i'll say because the the synopsis itself yeah is pretty straightforward it's really about a group of detectives in this small town uh let's say two out of the three main detectives are from this small town but uh, one is from seoul kind of a big city detective but they're just trying to catch a serial killer in this really rural town and uh you know that's tip of the iceberg uh the way that you know the last movie that we discussed was but that's ultimately the premise and uh i don't know that i need to uh expand on that because like that that really is what this movie's about yeah it's a pretty straightforward plot Mm -hmm. uh the the interesting background may be the fact that it's based on um, an actual serial killer yes. in the 1980s in South Korea. And that kind of sets this backdrop. Bong Joon-ho talked about how he wanted to represent this feeling of what it was like in South Korea in the 80s. He He's mentioned that it was a very violent time, not only because of the current dictatorship at that time um, which we see a little bit of of Mm -hmm. like and and hear a little bit of background of these kind of things going on where they're beating down protesters and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a very minor kind of detail that's thrown in yeah but the the violence of the era with i mean everyone's hitting each other in this movie (laughs) everyone's getting kicked and hit and into fights yeah, and... it's it's very slapstick in a way, too, because like mm-hmm. some of the violence does have real consequence. And yes, uh, it, it's about a serial killer. And we see that the aftermath of that violence for the most part. And there's some pretty I don't want to say gruesome stuff, but I mean, in the way that there there is, you know. Yeah. Um, But the way that it's done, I think, is subtle and mm-hmm. nothing. I guess when I say gruesome, those things are more implied than directly shown. You know, this isn't this isn't a horror movie we're dealing with. But yeah, but my point with the slapstick was 
these detectives and the way that they're just like always brawling or hitting each other one of them literally drop kicking like running full speed and just drop kicking (laughs) people is like it's really kind of funny but also not and there's a really interesting tone to some of that some of those moments and some of that violence where it almost feels three stooges esque you know in in various points but then it also walks this balance of there is this horror that's going on that makes this more of a suspense or a thriller and it's marrying those two views of of violence or those two kind of tones of violence in a really interesting way yeah so that was one of the things that struck me because i mean i I knew the basics. I knew that this was based on a real story about a serial killer. I didn't know much else about the movie going in. So the the sort of comedy elements, particularly in the first half, first mm-hmm. two-thirds even maybe, that really surprised me at first. Yeah. And And what it reminded me, it reminded me of Kurosawa films. Right. Where you have like, you know, especially his samurai films where you have a lot of ensemble scenes and a lot of kind of chain violence. You know, one person will hit someone, someone else will hit another person, which is kind of that Three Stooges feel. Yeah. And and there's just this like constant berating and disagreements and it's all done in these very tight ensemble scenes. Yeah, it also, I think I mentioned this last time, I'm not really like a South Korean movie buff, but I've seen a decent handful, and and that's also a trope that I notice in a lot of their movies, and a lot of, a lot of the time too, I don't know if it's just coincidence, but kind of depiction of police as well, Mm -hmm. kind of with this goofball slapstick comedy approach, but then taking a serious turn. I was thinking of... uh, a movie um, that I really loved, and I'm drawing a blank on the director's name, so I'm looking it up right now. Um, Hong Jin Na, uh, like The Wailing, uh, mm-hmm. great, great movie. I, I love that movie. Uh, it's from 2016. But anyway, same kind of vibe in the beginning of that movie as well. And I also am thinking of The Host, uh, which was also Bong Joon Ho which has the same type of weird (laughs) marriage between very serious and goofball character, just screw up kind of falling on his ass type of vibe, you know? Mm -hmm. One thing before, before we get too far away from it and you mentioned the, the drop kicking, which becomes kind of this uh, ongoing gag throughout the movie. Uh, The first time it happens when in the the lead character inspector park uh it stops on the roadside to stop what he thinks is potentially the the rapist and murderer because he sees him tussling with a woman who's fallen down a hill and it was all a mistake and it was all a mistaken identity kind of thing but he he like just goes for it drops drop kicks the guy both feet on the side of a hill and apparently that was improvised <laughs> by the actors Song Kang Ho oh, man. Uh, 
so and I, I can't find anything about whether the subsequent ones were built off of that or mm-hmm. if maybe he read that in the script later and was like i want to do that too right <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's hilarious but it happened like when that first happened i was like holy shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah right and then and, and then the next time it happens you're like oh my god <laughs> and it just keeps happening yeah i try to lately i try to pay attention to stunts in movies even mm-hmm. if they're really simple things and there's definitely i i think that's one of the interesting things about this movie compared to maybe violence in like a typical especially a typical cop movie detective movie or whatever that would be made in the u.s mm-hmm. where i feel like I just don't think we would be able to pull off that same level of slapstick and and merge it with the serious stuff that's going on. But yeah. um, there's also just sort of a messiness to like the punches and, and you know, the violence and th- th- that's happening. That's very it just seems real in the sense that they they're like kids <laughs> that right. are just like wrestling and it's you just want to be like guys like what the hell are you doing just stop <laughs> well and for anyone who's ever been in a fight you you know it's not like fight club yeah you know it's yeah. not this like sexy violence where you know like yeah you know everyone's sweaty and shirtless <laughs> and and just wailing on each other but it looks like choreographed right right like like you said this is real like these are people like it's sloppy Mm -hmm. it's you know like all over the place it's not just like people punching each other you're like grabbing each other and falling down and yeah yeah like and there's a part later on and you know this doesn't have anything to do with the plot but there's a part later on where uh two of the detectives are uh are fighting and the the police chief picks up a chair and i thought he was gonna go full like wwf yeah Yeah, same break it on someone's back yep (laughs) and i was like oh shit like this old guy's (laughs) getting in on it but he just throws the chair around which i liked better i was like if he gets into this like that goes too far yeah for sure but I think the the similarity that we might see between an American cop movie or TV show and this one is that small town cop mentality. Yeah. Of like, these aren't cops who like, they're cops because they're in a small town and they needed a job mm-hmm. and they thought it would be fun to be a cop yeah you know versus this guy who comes from seoul to help figure out this these string of murders and he's there he's very serious he's a big city detective so we're pitting these two sensibilities and those usually we don't combine in american Mm -hmm. films we have Mm -hmm. one or the other we have a comedy about stupid small town cops or mm-hmm. we have a very serious film about, you know, a worn down city detective. And this merges the two. Yeah. And because we're on the subject, these guys, these small town cops are so incompetent and corrupt. And just it's driven home over and over again that they're just pretty bad at their jobs. And I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, 
I don't know how true to life it is, but it seems to me like the kind of thing that you could just see happening where, you know, and I was reading about the case a little bit, the, the, the real life case and everything mm -hmm. and how, uh, you know, there were accusations that there were confessions forced out of people that mm -hmm. really were innocent and that was proven later and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, but they're seen doing that as a as a matter of course like that's mm -hmm. their their normal mode is select the person that we're pretty sure it is and then beat them until they confess yep you know yeah. <laughs> their whole strategy and, and yeah. the surprising thing with that was how long the detective from soul just watches yeah. like he's just soaking it all in yep and he clearly doesn't agree with him he clearly thinks these guys are idiots mm -hmm. but he's like you know He's doing his thing off to yeah. the side and just letting them be assholes. Um, the, and Bong you... Joon-ho said that like that was one of the things about that time period that he wanted to get across too was like this ineptitude yeah. of the police. And I've been watching a lot of like true crime documentaries. Mm -hmm. And the the through line in almost all of them has been how inept the cops yeah. have been at solving these things. Yep. And I read a book uh, sometime in the last year as well um, that that had some pretty staggering like statistics and stuff about uh, police, including like how few cases are actually solved by police. Yeah. And it, and I mean it's kind of staggering. Yeah. And and so I thought about all those things as I was watching this like that's another part where I feel like we can very much relate these cops to American cops not mm -hmm. just in film but you know in reality. Yeah, I mean I think that's the stark difference is that if we in, in American movies about serial killers I don't know that we ever see this level of incompetence without it being the central focus of the story mm -hmm. and here you know as with barking dogs never bite you know this filmmaker is so good at layering themes and ideas mm -hmm. and i i think that's one of the things that makes him such a unique and interesting storyteller because that's a piece of the story, but it's not the whole story, you know, and, and that aspect of things kind of develops. It's not the central focus. And in the end, I don't know that I think this is one of the maybe to me, this is one of the messages of the movie, too, is that I don't know that their mishandling of those suspects and their inability to uh, investigate fully is really the reason that this guy got away it seems like it's 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 an aspect of it but it's not as if this movie's just saying like look at all this oh, you know mis <laughs> mishandling of the evidence and blah 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 like there's more going on here than just than just their incompetence you know what i mean right yeah i think that that it their incompetence is a huge part of the movie, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but they they aren't portrayed as being at fault, yeah, for for the murderer not being caught. Uh, instead, it's 
these one they're being outplayed yeah and two there are these situational things that they don't have a lot of control over yep when they kind of finally figure out the the pattern that's happening and they are able to see all the signs that there's going to be another murder like that moment and they call and try to get a message like a broadcast throughout the town telling people to stay inside all these things they want extra cops and they're not granted any of those things yeah and then when it comes time to have the uh, forensic evidence of of semen analyzed they don't have the forensic ability in south korea to do that so they have to send it to the u.s yeah and then they have to wait for the results to come back in the mail like yeah. they can't even get a phone call about this they have to wait for it in the mail and it just drags out this tension of like they think they have the right guy mm -hmm. but they can't do anything about it yeah I really appreciated that aspect of this movie, too, because that's really how it is in most small towns anywhere. And I mean, here it's so telling because it's the entire country of South Korea. They have to export uh, DNA analysis to the U.S. because they don't have the technology. But but that's exactly how it works in small towns in the U.S. that right. they export to a big city and oops, I keep hitting my uh, <laughs> keep hitting my mic but uh that you know these these small towns have to export to a big city and they do end up just waiting for results in the mail just like this and and that's why a lot of these cases can get drawn out and these investigations can get drawn out uh, i had to do a, a lot of research for um the, the last book or manuscript that I wrote because one of the main characters is a, is a police detective. And that was one of the things that I ran across in my research is, you know, stories of actual police departments saying it's not <laughs> that these small towns don't have CSI departments or anything. Even today right. in, in 2021, you know, a lot of these places just don't have the resources. So I, I, I really uh, appreciate the way that and I think this is something that Bong Joon-ho does really well is incorporating the setting into his story in a very real and integrated way. Because mm -hmm. we see it, like you said, on the TV with these protests. And I actually don't really know the history of South Korean politics. So I wasn't entirely sure what that historical event was that it was referring to for full transparency. I just don't know that history. But I could tell I was like, OK, there's something here. And, you know, it, it's manifesting in big and small ways and kind of this commentary about life in, in South Korea in general. Yeah, there's um, and I'm in the same boat. Like, I don't know a lot of this. All I know is and I, I can't even remember the the dictator's name. But it is very much like this this time of of unrest. Mm -hmm. And it is very like a very subtle through line going on in the background mm -hmm. which i think there's there are a couple things like that these very subtle inclusions that are just these small details that create the reality that is surrounding everyone yeah the interesting thing to me about the whole thing of having to send the forensic evidence to the u.s is uh, as we saw 
in barking dogs never bite and and we'll continue to see through Bong Joon-ho's films is you know he's very concerned with questions of class and yep. class divides and here in this movie it's a cultural class divide yeah. right South Korea's in this position of not being able to have the same resources that the US has so that's the class divide that we're seeing in this film yeah it's it's pretty scary when you think about it you know that because what what they talk about is exactly that they they have some conversations throughout but there's one conversation in particular where they're talking about you know i think they're i think they're giving shit to the the sole detective because he's you know a big city detective you know and Mm -hmm. uh the the small town guys are saying you know here in south korea you know and out in the country where we are, we investigate with our feet and the FBI, they investigate with their heads because the U S is so big and they have to, and all this stuff, but we investigate with our feet, you know, we pound the pavement, whatever. Um, and you know, they're saying to this guy, why don't you go to America? If you're going to try to investigate right. that way, you know, <laughs> yeah. which I, I really, I, it, it really hit home, you know, how underpowered they really are, which, you know, reading about the real case, it sounds like, you know, there were a lot of liberties taken here to get across the themes in the story. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you might you might know more about this than I do, but like the real case, there were like thousands and thousands of police detectives and, and uh, you know, just police uh, people in general working on this case where in the movie, it really does seem like there's like four <laughs> There's four detectives working on it, but it's one of the biggest cases in South Korea. So I think part of that, too, is is because of how long the investigation went on. Yeah. So so the staggering thing about the cases is that they there's like a 15 year statute of limitations in South Korea. Yeah. So. So once 15 years had come up from the final murder, there was nothing they could do. Even if they caught the guy, they weren't going to be able to prosecute him. And so I guess in in like 2002, they tried to change the law before that statute of limitations came up Mm -hmm. and it didn't get changed. So I think part of that, like the amount of, of cops and detectives who became a part of this case is because of how long this was drawn out. I mean, from yeah. the mid eighties up until the two thousands and, and it wasn't until 2019 when they finally found out who this guy was. And it turned out he was in prison already because in 1994, he went to prison for killing his sister-in-law. Right. And, and this spending life in prison for that but couldn't and and eventually in 2019 he he confessed to these 10 murders plus two others and at least 30 rapes and and they couldn't add that to his time they couldn't prosecute him for those crimes Uh, that's just insane insane to me yeah Yeah. that's an insane law that you'd have 15 years for a crime this severe and because because these things take sometimes decades to solve i mean just look at uh 
what's his name in in california i'm drawing a blank on his name right now um the the is it the golden state killer? yes there we go yeah 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 <laughs> i don't know why i forgot the golden state killer for the golden state but there it is <laughs> yeah but but yeah i mean literally decades for some of these bigger cases where you know someone's just really good at covering their tracks i'm like all right south korea get your shit together <laughs> time to change yeah. that law yeah i mean just if they haven't do you know if, do you know if they have by any chance i don't know everything i saw just talked about when they tried to change it in yeah. 2002 yeah yeah i i should have looked that up i didn't i didn't think about it it was just i think i was just so blown away (laughs) yeah by by that and it you know it it almost surprises me that these kind of things haven't been more prevalent in south korea yeah because because of that like you know i think if that was the case in the u.s like I think we would see a lot more terrible things than we already see. <laughs> yeah. It does look like I'm I'm looking this up right now. It does look like they've removed time limit on prosecuting murders and I, it looks like first degree murders and I think this happened as recent as 2015. Mm-hmm. So it does look like I don't want to get anything wrong, but it said a 25-year statute of limitations on first-degree murder. Hmm. And that was in, like I said, it looks like 2015. So I'm not sure, you know, how extensive that is. But thankfully, at least there's been some movement there because that, yeah, I I read the same thing and it just completely blew my mind. I was like, that's so dumb. (laughs) I I don't even understand the concept of a statute of limitations <laughs> on murder yeah no for real like, like mur- I, I, murder I can't even forever. wrap my head around it <laughs> yeah it's not like, like after after 25 years or 15 years or whatever uh that crime is no longer with us you know they're like well you know people generally heal from murder <laughs> after about 15 years oh god yeah <laughs> uh, it's time to move on Ugh. yeah the uh so since i mean we were kind of already going deep into the movie Mm -hmm. i i did want to mention my favorite scene in the movie happens relatively early on when they're searching when they're trying to do they're trying to set someone up Mm -hmm. they have this um disabled young guy in the town Mm-hmm. who they want to pin the murders on and and so they've they've tried to beat confessions into him they decide to take him out to the site of one of the murders and have him reenact it in front of the press which is just so weird so bizarre i didn't understand i was like was this something that they did i was very curious about that yeah uh, but it, it it all devolves because the guy's dad shows up and starts screaming mm-hmm. and it just becomes this huge tussle and they they do this uh dolly shot through the field in slow motion as mm-hmm. as everyone kind of tussles through the long grass and it was my favorite shot and it reminded me of I think both of our favorite shot in Barking Dogs Never Bite when there's this slow motion moment and people throwing confetti in the background. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, same. It just uh, it was really striking, and it and mm-hmm. it makes me, you know, a lot of directors have like kind of this calling card that they kind of incorporate into every film. You know, people like Hitchcock had had a lot of them. You know, his his own cameos being one, these high angle shots being another. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've seen a couple of other Bong Joon Ho films, but. I don't remember them well enough to be like, oh yeah, I noticed that in those two. So now I'm excited mm-hmm. as we go forward on a on a very nerdy level, yeah, to see if that continues. There's definitely I'm trying to think. There's definitely like some slow mo shots that I could see like that in the host that I can think of, but I don't remember the context for them. And so that's one totally I haven't see seen yet. I haven't yeah. seen the host yet. Oh, that yeah. one's fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to watching that one again. Um. So I I quickly just looked this up to be what is to just to see what is this what is this crime reenactment thing. So Wikipedia is telling me crime reenactment is a practice where criminal suspects are ordered as part of the police investigation process to describe or act out the steps of the crime in which they are accused. Uh it's claim to help investigators visualize the crime and verify confessions and it says also in the same article in some countries including south korea and thailand crime reenactments are done publicly at the site of the crime serving as a form of public humiliation Hmm. which is bizarre to me that is yeah that's super bizarre and and definitely something you can't even imagine happening in the u.s because you have a lawsuit real quick yeah so i mean talk about creating you know like a biased jury or whatever i don't know you know what their criminal courts are like in south korea but you would think there's some form of of judgment with some form of jury and it's like before they even do this stuff they do a crime reenactment for the press weird (laughs) so bizarre (laughs) man so yeah this movie is educating me on some things this is fascinating another uh filmmaking element and storytelling element in this that that i think is in some ways a nod to to hitchcock as well is uh, hitchcock called it a a mcguffin Mm mm-hmm uh also essentially a red herring yeah and and in this it's almost explicitly a red herring right when they're piecing together these clues and patterns one of the things that they notice with the first two or three murders is that the woman has been wearing red right and then we go to the scene where it's very clearly setting up another person who's about to be murdered mm-hmm. and she's wearing a red jacket mm-hmm. and, and you're like, Oh, this is total signaling. Right. Right. And then she takes off the red jacket. Yeah. And she goes out and she still gets murdered. Yeah. And it was like the, the most literal red herring. <laughs> True. And I kind of loved it too, because there's this playfulness to it which is kind of terrible to say, right? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there is this playfulness as a filmmaker of like, well, you see her wearing the red jacket, you're like, oh, she's going to die. 
Mm-hmm. She takes it off. And you're like, oh, was the red herring here? Was this misdirection? Mm-hmm. Is she not going to die? And then she does die. Yeah. And you realize this clue was shit. Yeah. You know? There's so much of that. And that's that's one of the fascinating things about this movie. And, and I think what the real story of the movie is because you know we as i said in the beginning i mean the the premise is as simple as detectives trying to stop a serial killer but like what this movie does so well is puts you in the shoes of those characters as you kind of try to as they kind of try to form an understanding of patterns and, and motive and whatever. And it leads them down these rabbit holes that ultimately spoiler alert lead nowhere. Cause like every time they think they have it figured out, something happens that completely, you know, blows up their theory and there's just no catharsis. There's no, there's no resolution. And I, really appreciate that about this movie because you know unfortunately that's the case with these types of unsolved crimes um thankfully as we mentioned this guy was eventually caught for something else and so we know you know he's at least serving time for you know unrelated reasons but still we we have that uh you know knowledge of of who it was but like the movie to me is a is a great uh example uh, or or um i guess yeah experience of wanting so badly you know with these characters to have the right guy that you know that scene towards the end where the the cop from soul is really about to murder what could be an innocent man and it's Mm -hmm. like you almost just want him to pull the trigger just so that you can feel like you've done something and right. that's that's the thing that I think the movie pulls off so well by the end is to me, like I have that, you know, dual side where it's like, I, I believe this guy did it. But then when you look back at the evidence, all of it is circumstantial and, mm-hmm. you know, by the standards of like a U.S. court, at least none of it would really hold up as actual evidence that this guy was behind it. So you know, it's crazy that I'm watching this movie and I'm going like, part of me, part of me is going like, Oh, I just want him to shoot this guy. <laughs> but then, then there's the part of you that goes, well, wait a minute. You know, they only have this guy because he literally wrote into a radio station to, and said, play this song when it rains. Yeah. And then he, you know, says that he didn't hear the, the broadcast and maybe he's lying and maybe he doesn't remember, but it's all circumstantial. There's no, hard evidence for anything you know right and it's infuriating there's this desperation throughout and it and it moves alongside with this tension that just builds and builds and builds but the desperation is a through line that that also connects to the shift that we see and this is what's really masterful and I think that this is something Bong Joon do, Bong Joon Ho does a lot. Is he he gets this very subtle shift that will happen, and you almost don't even notice it at first until it's happened. And and here it's that you start out with these inept small town cops mm-hmm. 
who aren't taking shit very seriously. Right. Even though people are dying, you know, they they really just they're cops to look like hot shots and be badasses, you know. Yeah. They they want to smack people around and drop kick them and yeah they, they want to pose for those pictures that they do you know that right. the, the morning that they're going to do that reenactment right. and they you know so they come up with stupid stuff like oh we couldn't find any pubic hairs on the scene so the killer must you know must uh, be bald down below that you was know? my <laughs> like, favorite thing and then <laughs> the, yeah the detective park is going to saunas and just staring at, at, at guys crotches as they walk right. by <laughs> and there and and his wife is like totally like on board with that too like she's talking about it later and she's like you can't do this by yourself you got to get other people to do it too right and they're and they're proud to be these small town cops there's this moment you know you talked about how they said that the the detective from Seoul should go to America if he wants to be a serious detective mm-hmm. but there's also a line where everyone else is out searching for this third murder that that detective has predicted. And they're just sitting back by the cars, kind of bullshitting. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, I heard that he went to a four-year university. Yeah, and and the one guy says, I spent four years in ninth grade. Right. Which was my favorite line of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's not... It's it's total pride in being these small town cops, but but that shift starts happening really really slowly as this drags on and the tension builds, Mm -hmm. and they think they have people. It doesn't work. People keep dying. Yeah. Then there's this really gruesome scene where they're doing an autopsy and they pull out nine piece nine pieces of a peach from the from the woman's vagina mm-hmm. and and it's very disturbing everybody in the room is just like you can see the shifts on their faces yep. and and apparently that detail was true oh wow which is you know disturbing yeah but, but this is where the shift really starts to happen and you have uh inspector park our our, our leading man which up until this point i was like what a choice to have mm-hmm. the inept, stupid cop as your protagonist. Yep. And this is why, because he starts to shift. He, It starts to be like, I can't do this anymore. We have to figure this out. This is starting to really eat away at me. Mm-hmm. And then our detective from Seoul, he's still serious, but he is regressing to this kind of primal place Mm -hmm. of like he snaps and instead of you know having this revelation that inspector park has had he becomes violent right he can no longer contain himself he just wants so badly to catch this person that he will now he wants to be the one to beat it out of them yeah and that shift happens so masterfully Mm mm-hmm that that that's where i was like holy shit he just pulled this off <laughs> yeah and it I, i'm really glad you mentioned that peach scene because that really is the turning point and it's it's the first time where i feel like we get 
I mean, we've had, I guess we've had details throughout, but it's the first one that's just so horrifying that it, it really does remind me of like seven, you know, mm-hmm. um, where it's just so incredibly fucked up that it does kind of shift the tone of the movie away a little bit further away, you know, from where we were at the beginning. So a hundred percent, I agree that, that I, I think it happens for the characters in the movie and it in a way happens to, at least for me, kind of happens to me as the audience where I'm like, holy shit, like this guy's a fucking psychopath. Like we knew, but this is escalating. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that part of that is is the building of tension, right? Like I think that if we had seen more details about the previous killings, mm-hmm. that would be, you know, that on an equal level. Yeah. But but by not doing that, by letting it build up, it becomes part of that mounting tension that we that we see that eating away at these cops. Yeah. And so holding back some of those details and expanding until until we get to the breaking point of the young girl who's killed and and we start to get these equally disturbing instances you know the on the scene and the cop from soul kind of covers the girl up and they're like yeah you don't touch a corpse you know and and that's then we've we've gone through this shift the tension has built up to this fever pitch and he just wants there to be some dignity left yeah and some respect and that's where he finally breaks all together yeah it's it's just a really astounding kind of progression Mm -hmm. and i think that not a lot of directors could pull that off yeah absolutely and as we kind of mentioned in the beginning too just the 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 different tones, the tonal shifts, I, I should say, kind of throughout the movie really are masterful. And I think mm-hmm. you're pointing to, you know, those specific moments where it's like you really have to be a skilled storyteller to shift in the way from, you know, in, in the way that this movie is shifting and to do it effectively. You know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah. so rare to see these kinds of things pulled off um and it's just so i think emotionally potent you know um and and i think he he in a way too like this this is kind of a shift in in the topic here but because we're talking about these characters and we're talking about detective park and i have to just kind of focus on his character for a minute um, cause you were kind of implying earlier, you know, some of his, <laughs> like what a choice, as you said, you know, to make this guy the main character, but like, just like with barking dogs, never bite. One of the things that immediately stood out to me was this guy is not really someone I want to root for, you know, in, in the beginning of the movie, this guy, I'm pretty sure he's visiting a prostitute or a sex worker. It, is that what you got too? Cause you, you mentioned his wife and I was like, I don't think that was his wife. Was that his wife? I think it is wasn't, because wasn't he visiting a sex worker. Like I thought he said something like you've got people coming here. Was that a joke then? I was so confused. 
I'm I'm not sure the line that you're mentioning uh, and the reasons why I think it's his wife is is one she's giving him a flu shot. <laughs> she does. She do seems that, yeah. to be a a nurse or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I was very confused. They, they sleep together, like you know, not having sex. They sleep together. You know, uh, they seem to share a living space because he showers there. Um, she later is getting getting medicine of some sort that yeah she's I was, clearly been giving to him. I she's been confused. giving him like infusions or something. Yeah, and and she's using the excuse of them being for his grandmother. Right. I I was confused. So if that if that's my misreading, it might have been a joke. But I hang on. I I'm looking this up right now. Um. So they. And Wikipedia refers to her as his girlfriend. So, yeah, and I've just found this article. I don't know what this website is, but they're talking about this movie, and they mentioned the nurse. So this is a website called <laughs> jeremycprocessing.com. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but uh, but it's about this movie, and it says the nurse is a compelling character. Detective Park's lover, um, from their conversations, makes quite a bit of money from out-of-hours, self-employed prostitution with a number of regular clients. So, and I... Th- I wonder hmm. I wonder if it's not prostitution, if she's, like, illegally trafficking in the, in the medical stuff. Yeah, that because, seems more likely. Because of the amount of vials she's taking out of the, the pharmacy or whatever. Yeah. That's what I wonder is, like, that seems more along along what it is Mm -hmm. i think that if i think she if she was a prostitute like i think we would have seen more yeah of that yeah no that's that's true i i'm not sure i mean it's i'm at least glad that i'm not the only one who had that interpretation because it it was something from their dialogue where i was like "Uh." because then it would have said something about you right (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like exactly. No one else got this impression That's but correct. you. Correct. <laughs> yep, yep. So it's not just me. I I swear. Uh, hmm. But yeah. Yeah, that it, that makes yeah, sense that, though. Yeah, it didn't it didn't occur to me and it and it took me a while to pick up on that that she was some kind of medical worker of some sort. Yeah. Um I think it was when they're like lounging under a tree. Yeah. And he's hooked up to an IV that I was like, "Oh, okay. She and I and I think that that she's She's giving him these infusions because he's so run down. Yeah. That w- and apparently he, the the actor, uh, Song Kang-ho, apparently spent a lot of time to prepare for the movie by not eating and not sleeping <laughs> so that he would wow. look more run down. Yeah. Which, Meth- you know. A little method acting there. A little, little method acting, which I like. <laughs> I don't know. I have, an, I have an affinity for method actors because... <laughs> There's a little bit of craziness, and yeah. I think that if I if I had kept acting after college, I probably would have would have been one of those people. Well, I, <laughs> like, I don't think I knew this about you. Have we talked about this? I didn't know you did any acting. Oh yeah, I did. I did for years. Um, Whoa! From like you know childhood up through college, I got to call it. Like by the time I was in college, I had been in probably like 26 plays oh, or wow. something, and. And then I took some drama in college and I did some like one act play showcases and stuff. 
Yeah. But I couldn't stand the other drama people in college. <laughs> like, because you, you get the, the most serious, most annoying people from high school drama class and put them all oh, into man. one group. And and so you have all the 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 little pond big fish people. <laughs> yeah. All together. And, That's hilarious. And they take it so seriously. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember, like, I didn't like hanging out with people before I'd get ready for like a performance, I would, I would kind of isolate. I'd go and jump around to get out some of like that excess energy. And, and this woman told me that because I didn't want to hang out with all the actors and stuff that, that I wasn't a real drama student. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, okay, you people are the worst. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) You were like, I guess you're right then. Bye. Yeah, so then my plan was to focus on on filmmaking and and go into directing, which mm-hmm. I subsequently got kicked out of the film program, so <laughs> that didn't work out either. But but I realized that like I didn't yeah, you know, I thought I was gonna be like Philip Seymour Hoffman mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. But, but there's still time. There's like, still time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I I realized, no, I don't want to be around those people. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I could boss them around as a director, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but, but you'd still have to be around them for sure. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I, but, uh, but yeah, I I have a special affinity for method acting. Yeah. And, uh, well, I know, I know you just acted as a, as a cartoon bug and boy, so. <laughs> I did. I, I love voice acting. Mm-hmm. I love doing character voices so that was a lot of fun for work a couple of little things that i wanted to mention just like on that on that film nerd level Mm -hmm. in addition to that slow motion shot through the field there was the shot uh of and i and i had i don't think i've said his the character's name the whole time the detective from seoul Mm -hmm. uh i think he when he's looking for this piece of evidence, a postcard that was written to the to the radio station, he goes to the dump and he's standing on top of this trash pile. Oh, yeah. And these like trash fires. That was a really striking shot. Yeah, for sure. And then there's a shot at the end or toward the end where they're in the, the train tunnel and the, the railroad tunnel and he's he's threatening the suspect and the suspect finally runs away because inspector park is like just let it you know just go mm-hmm. you know we don't have the evidence i can't tell if you're the killer or not mm-hmm. just go get away mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then you look back at the two cops through the tunnel mm-hmm. and these silhouettes and it reminded me of the third man uh, which was directed by carol reed and had orson wells mm. And there's this great shot that's very similar to that. So those were some very film nerdy shots that stood out yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I So I wanted to, before we before we go on to, because I, I agree with you, there there's some really stunning imagery in this, uh, stunning shots and, and cinematography. I think more so than uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite. And you can kind of see 
maybe what Bong Joon-ho can do with more of a budget, you know? Um, There's a real leap yeah, between the two films. Absolutely. And, and not just... Not just in the way that it's shot either, but the complexity, you know, I, I think yeah. in a way, Barking Dogs Never Bite is a more complex movie than it appears to be on the surface, which we definitely talked about last time. But like, right, it's not as emotionally potent as this one is, because the stakes here are a lot higher. You know, it's not about someone you know, getting a job or a, or a dog dying, which is, which is, you know, <laughs> dramatic in a way, but this is, this is serial murder, you know? So the, the stakes are significantly higher. And I think he really steps up, uh, in a way that works, um, across the board. But I, yeah. I wanted to just go back really quick, not to harp on this, but, um, the 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 choice of main character here where we were talking about detective park and and okay so if if the nurse is not actually a sex worker that's whatever but like park is still not someone that i find myself rooting for you know we we see over and over again he's lazy he's he's corrupt you know they're beating these confessions out of people and it's just a matter of course as i mentioned and it's just taken as a matter of fact that this is who this guy is and this is who our main character is and just like with Barking Dogs Never Bite, I feel like it's such a bold and, and interesting choice that once again, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this, I think, uh, comparing these types of movies to what we would get in the U.S., but there's no real moral, you know, for Detective Park. It's just that's who he is. And it, it's like... I see this really interesting inversion of that trope of, as we mentioned last episode of save the cat where, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as I had mentioned, then save the cat is uh, Blake Snyder. You know, you have your character uh, do something nice in the early stages of the screenplay so that people will root for them. Save the cat. Right. Right. And I feel like so far with these two movies, Bong Joon-ho almost starts us with the opposite. And I, mm -hmm. I, I wonder, in a way I was thinking about it and I was like, is, is this something to do with, does that, does that make the characters more uh, sympathetic to the audience? Because is, is, is Bong Joon-ho kind of making a statement here about, you know, nobody's perfect but we're going to we're going to go with this person and we're going to learn some redeeming qualities of them maybe you know and and so i don't know i i'm fascinated by that choice to have us follow characters that for like 75% of the movie have very few redeeming qualities and then maybe by the end we're either on board or maybe not but the you mentioned the turn you know and the, the character development where Park ultimately is the one who has, I guess, I guess changed for the better, you could say, because he stops the detective from Seoul from straight up executing one of the suspects. Right. Which, for all Park's shit, like, and, and how shitty he is, he was never going to murder anybody. You know, he was corrupt. He was beating people. I'm not downplaying the fact that they were torturing people, including uh, a mentally disabled person. Right. But he was never actually going to take a gun and blow somebody's brains out. <laughs> and and so by the end, it's like, 
maybe he hasn't redeemed himself, but like he's grown from that place where he was in the beginning and in a, in a similar way to uh, the main character from Barking Dogs Never Bite. So I'm just He's realized a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by that choice of, you know, this filmmaker putting us with the character that we don't like immediately. It's like it's like kick the cat instead of save the cat. Right. <laughs> but then later, it's very, yeah. <laughs> later pet the cat. You know, <laughs> like feel feel bad about kicking the cat. Yeah, yeah, it's very anti Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I, I do think, like, I mean, he becomes, he doesn't become a good person. He becomes a sympathetic person. Yeah. And I think that there's a reality to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that many of us over our lives, we learn, we try to get better, we try to do better, and we all encounter things in our lives that change us. Yeah. And And like I mentioned, you know, he starts off with this kind of, uh laissez-faire attitude right like you know yeah people are dying but i i'm a hot shot you know like yeah i can tell if people are guilty just by looking at them right and then over time he realizes no yeah you know like i'm not this person that i thought i was and i don't want to be that person which which can bring us right to the end the coda of the film which is it jumps forward from the the 80s to 2003 and we see park and he has a family he's got two kids he's no longer a cop he's a salesman mm-hmm. and he stops the driver of the car he's in because they pass the scene of the first murder mm-hmm. and he walks back to it and this young girl walks past and asks him, you know, what he's doing. And she mentions someone else was recently there, said that they had done something there once before, you know, years ago. And he has this realization, you know, that that she had seen the killer and that he had revisited his crime scene mm-hmm. 20 years later, mm-hmm. 15 years later. And he asks her about him. And she just said, you know, he was very ordinary. She doesn't have anything that stands out about him. And Park realizes, like, how how could I have done this? How could I have solved this? You know? Yeah. The This was impossible from the beginning. We couldn't find any evidence. Our eyewitness to one of the murders died um, because of standing in front of a moving train <laughs> which apparently also happened oh no a suspect really? a suspect that they had tried to pin the crime on killed himself by jumping in front of a train wow. and um so he has all these realizations in this moment and it's maybe like 10 seconds and you see it all in his eyes yeah. and then he turns and he faces the camera directly with this kind of just total look of devastation and loss mm-hmm. And and Bong Joon-ho has said that the reason he ended it that way with that look is because he envisioned the actual killer sitting in a movie theater watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to give him that feeling of being seen mm-hmm. and being looked at. And, and the irony to that, of course, is that 
the guy had been in prison since 1994. So when the movie came out in 2003, he couldn't have seen it, which right. I mean, for the better, yeah. like that's not a good reason to like have wanted him to see this movie. Right. Yeah. But there is kind of this sadness that echoes in the reality mm-hmm. that this was, this was such a devastating thing in South Korea that it has echoed through decades. Yeah which I think is also very different from the U.S. where we've had more than our fair share of serial killers mm-hmm. to the point where unless you lived directly in one of the communities where it happened, as a nation, we haven't had this devastation of you know ripples throughout time from a single person mm-hmm. like they have on this case in, in Korea. So there is this, this deep sadness. Mm-hmm in that in that final look and that he can pull that off that song kang ho can pull that off Mm -hmm. with just the look in his eyes is pretty pretty amazing yeah pretty great acting yeah and it's a it's a really kind of unsettling thought to think about you know a, a movie like this which is commenting on a real event in such a way and and kind of having that awareness of this some of this, you know, really happened and this person could be interacting with this story is Mm -hmm. it's that, that to me is very unsettling. And it's, there's a, there's a, there's a blurring for me between an uncomfortable blurring for me between certain stories of true crime and, you know, entertainment that, that is, Mm -hmm uncomfortable that i'm not i'm not comfortable with a lot of true crime so um (laughs) my my wife is always watching and listening to true crime you know podcasts and and movies and documentaries and stuff and it's funny because i'm a horror writer and a big horror reader and and consumer of horror media but i'm not comfortable with the true crime stuff as much as some people, and I'm not judging people who are, um, I, this is a, this is a little bit of a digression, but I I was going to say, uh, I I talked to my wife about this from time to time. and, And one of the things that occurred to me is I think for women in particular, because, because true crime is more popular with women than it is with men. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know how true this is, but it was a thought that occurred to me is that true crime for women is like, war stories for men you know where it's like men are thinking about this war stuff you know like what what would i do if that was me and i was i want to hear all these stories you know and it's horrifying and and scary but like you're still just interested in it and most as as fucked up as it is most victims of violent crime are women in particular serial killers serial murders Mm -hmm. and so i don't know i think i just feel like there's something to that piece of it but yeah i have i have similar discomfort with the uh the combination of the entertainment industry and true crime and and as i mentioned i've i've watched a lot of true crime documentaries my wife and i watch a lot of them not always because we're like these are super entertaining Mm -hmm often because like we can't necessarily agree on other things that we want to watch. (laughs) Yeah. And there is like this, you know, for better or worse, there's this morbid curiosity 
but I do like I always question it at the same time yeah of like like I am very very uncomfortable with the um consumerization mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> of of true crime yeah and and so it is it's a it's a big question and I felt that going throughout this yeah. movie too is like like it is very uncomfortable yeah it more so now that you've told me some of these details really were pulled from real life that mm-hmm. I I thought were probably more creative license than real life details so yeah. it's yeah that's that's a little unsettling and and when you said that about Bong Joon-ho thinking about the murderer watching this, like I, I, I don't have any judgment of that. I don't know what to think about that, but all I can think of uh, is, is if it was me who's telling this story and I'm thinking about that, that might be the point where I say, I don't think I want to touch this project. You know what I mean? That I think that it makes me yeah. too uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it still makes him uncomfortable. Um, he was asked about it after the the guy confessed in 2019. Mm-hmm. And, and he talked about how he had spent so much time imagining what this man had looked mm-hmm. like. And after seeing his face for real, he was having a really hard time processing it psychologically. Right. So I think that it haunts him as well. And I think like many, many artists and many writers and filmmakers probably is he's telling this story as a way to work through it yeah, and work through his feelings and work through the trauma, the, the cultural trauma, right. you know, it didn't, obviously it didn't happen to him, but there's this cultural trauma from these events in Korea. And so I think he's working through that. Yeah. To to wrap things up, what it what would be your 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 final thoughts on this? I think that it's pretty clear we both really yeah. like this movie, but what do you have final thoughts? Um, yeah, I would just say I think this movie is extremely powerful. I I think as I kind of said in the beginning, you know, there's there's a bunch of takeaways for me that kind of were emotional punches, you know, mm-hmm. in a good way, and. I mentioned seven, you know, where, Mm -hmm. you you know, the famous what's in the box scene, you know, and that, that movie, you know, that movie's kind of, some people classify that as a horror movie, whatever. That movie is a bit gratuitous, you know, with its depictions Mm -hmm. of violence, I think, or the aftermath of violence. There's not really much on-screen violence, but regardless, um, but the, (laughs) this is, I know there's a weird comparison, but like, I was always like really impacted by that final scene you know because i saw that movie when i was like 14 and it was Mm -hmm. so emotionally potent when i realized what had happened and that the the bad guy won you know and in a way this movie does parallel that feeling but in a much more adult way because it's based on reality so it in a way it's almost more potent because it puts you in the shoes of these imperfect flawed characters who by the end are just doing their best to stop a serial killer and they can't do it. Like, and and that devastation in the final shot and in the final scene is just so heavy, you know, the, 
that that last scene is just masterfully done where as you mentioned you know park is talking to this young girl and he knows that this guy is still out there and so yeah. he's even however many years later this is um I'm not sure if it's, you know, if that was in the 80s, this is at least, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, right? Um, and and he's in the exact same position, except now yeah. he's not in a place to even investigate, you know? But he right. has to live with this knowledge that he failed, that the police failed, that the, the killer won. And it's it's so unsettling you know, to, to use that word again and yeah, yeah, just, just extremely effective and, and powerful. Uh, definitely. I, I mentioned, yeah. you know, emotional punch and that's, that's how it feels in a, in a really masterfully done way. And despite the, the elements of comedy in it, it's a, it's a more mature film yeah. than, than seven. Yes. And Bong Joon-ho has mentioned, uh, Zodiac, another Fincher film. Yep. Zodiac as a, as a parallel. Yeah. And and I think that that's David Fincher being a more mature filmmaker about the same yeah. topic. But even uh, yeah, and but even Zodiac, you know, that movie wanders quite a bit, especially mm-hmm. you know from from section to section. And it, yeah, that movie is like thirty minutes. Too yeah, long. yeah, it, it's a wandering movie. And but but I agree. I I think that's that's a great. I'm glad you mentioned that one because that's a great example. Similar, but. In a way, I I feel like that movie, it applies kind of a Hollywood, it's not a Hollywood ending because the the killer is technically still out there, but Jake Gyllenhaal's character at the end of that movie thinks that he has found the guy, you know, and and it kind of gives the audience that closure so that even if that guy... Uh, is not behind bars it's like ah we're on to you we know it was you where in real life there's some contradictory evidence and stuff and there's tons of argument that it may not have actually been that guy so like this movie won't even give us that where it's like maybe maybe it was that guy that they let go at the end no like we're just we just don't know and and that's how it is we just we just don't know you know yeah no i mean all in all, I mean, it, it's just a it's a devastating, tension filled masterpiece. Yeah. It's, it, it, I, I'm actually I'm really looking forward to to watching more behind the scenes stuff and and listening to more interviews, etc. Um, the Criterion edition that's coming out soon is uh, has a interview with Bong Joon Ho subsequent to the revelation of the the actual murderer uh, wow confessing yeah. so i'm really intrigued by that but yeah i mean all in all i think that i think this movie was pretty astounding yeah. and i think that we've we've covered it and it's so almost a as exhausting to to talk about it as it is to watch it <laughs> i could in, talk a lot more about it though <laughs> but in a in a total film nerd way yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next time we get to talk about the yes. hosts. I'm looking forward to that one. And and I haven't seen that one yet, so I'm excited about that. Very curious to hear what you think about that one, Ryan. Well, we're only a couple of weeks away from finding <laughs> out. All right. Until that time, we have been the indirectors and we appreciate you listening. 
catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye.